0: If you go back to Twitter and Hacker News over the last couple of years, you, you'll find a lot of people making like these snarky comments about like, why you know, we know Kubernetes is hot, but why are you messing with it now? You you don't need it right now when you're at this early growth stage where really your focus should be on iterating and, and improving a product. You know, you can worry about the scale part later.
1: Yeah, I, I think they call it resume based development.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or oh, there's like this famous blog post: do things that don't scale. So that is absolutely true. I would argue though that setting up your cluster really isn't that hard anymore because your cloud provider makes it easy and you can even manage it as infrastructure as code and it'll offer you another benefit next to the possibility to scale it'll offer you that ability to build test environments and you know iterate way more quickly
2: cockroach db is the only bug you'll ever love because it's the only one you don't have to worry about. As a low-touch SQL database that automatically handles scale, operations and uptime, CockroachDB lets you focus on developing. Get your free cluster and a free T-shirt at cockroachlabs.com/stack Overflow. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow Podcast, a place to talk about software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. And today I'm joined by my colleague, Ryan Donovan, who is a content marketer on my team running the blog and the newsletter. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. So one thing that we've written about a few times and which I think we're going to discuss today is the idea of using you know, Kubernetes and containerization to rethink how your company is architected. We've done a few like sponsored blog posts about this from big co's and had pitches on it. But you know it feels like overall, this is a, a big shift in the industry that's been playing out over the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. And you know a technology that is just exploding in popularity. What do you think is is driving that?
1: Well, I I think a lot of uh, software folks don't want to manage their hardware. When a lot of people, a lot of organizations move to the cloud, it was just easier to handle resources. And now right. you have Kubernetes, which... You can treat the resources as code.
2: So this is part of the bigger sort of like infrastructure as code movement.
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: Well, we have a in-house expert coming on the podcast today to discuss it. Max Horseman, who is a staff software engineer at Stack Overflow and has recently been working on some really cool stuff in-house related to exactly this topic. Welcome, Max.
0: Hey, Ben. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, of course. Great to have you on. So for folks who don't know, you've been with Stack Overflow for, I think, more than eight years, you said?
0: Yeah, that's right. I joined back in 2012. So it's been eight and a half years now. Yeah.
2: Very cool. And you were at Microsoft before that?
0: That's right. Spent a couple of years at Microsoft, then took a year off for traveling, which was great. And then I joined this relatively young company back then in
2: 2014. <laughs> Overflow. Yeah. Right. We've all aged so gracefully together. So Max, you did a piece for us uh, that I want you to talk about. Maybe, you know, step back a minute and sort of tell people like, what your thesis is here and how that relates to some of the work you've been doing inside of Stack Overflow, building essentially what what is like new tooling that all of us get to use.
0: Absolutely. So the first couple of years here at Stack, I worked on the talent and jobs team. So for those who don't know, if you're on Stack Overflow, there's also a job board. And if you're looking at a question or answer page on Stack, you'll, you'll sometimes see job listings advertised and you can go to the job board and find a job and if you're an employer and you're trying to hire developers, there's also a portal for that stack Overflow talent. So that's what I've worked on mm-hmm. for many years. And when I, when I joined the company, this was really at an early stage and we needed to grow the product a lot and iterate a lot. So, I mean, it's well established now that what you want to do at an early stage is, you know, lean startup and all that sort of things that you want to iterate and seek fit, feedback early on and, and then, you know, make improvements based on that feedback. Yeah,
1: get that market fit.
0: Yeah. So getting to product market fit and then based on that, grow the product and scale it. And yeah, so at some point we realized that really the tooling we have for that needs some improvement. And yeah, that's what we're here to talk about today.
2: Yeah. I feel like, didn't, didn't one of our co-founders have like a, a famous quote somewhere along these lines? Maybe it was Jeff Atwood from that sacrificial architecture piece, right, Ryan? Am I thinking about this?
1: That uh, performance is a feature. Basically,
2: performance is a feature. You can build
1: it in at the beginning or you can add it in later. But it's you should treat it as a feature.
2: So I thought that was kind of cool, but Jeff, I would say performance is a feature. Many developers understood this to mean performance is the first thing to care about, but that's not quite right. I like the way that was put. So Max, you were working on talent and I guess, you know, yeah, just to clarify, we should say, you know, the business of Stack Overflow has been evolving. We're kind of, we we talked about this publicly, it's no secret moving away from job slots and we're going to, you know, use sort of the scale and reach we have with developers uh, to allow companies to do sort of awareness about their products or services or open roles they have for developers, talk about their brand and then focus on teams. So job slots was something you did in the past, not anymore, but yeah, you have a different sort of take on Kubernetes, which often people talk about as being a little too complex or unwieldy or expensive for a startup to consider. It's something, like we said, people talk about as maybe a big re-architecture decision. When, you, when you've scaled to a certain point and you know you feel like pain points or areas of friction or, or too much overhead is developing, but you feel like maybe that's no longer the case. And then I think you have kind of an interesting implementation of it in-house, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so to your first point, you're right, Kubernetes is often and still considered to be a relatively complex technology, right? So something mm-hmm. that requires a lot of resources and overhead to create and to manage and, and running your own Kubernetes cluster is certainly something that is a complex task. Right. But, you know, in 2021 now, I think it's fair to say that with all these cloud offerings out there that, you know, take care of that for you, you know, offering Kubernetes basically as a utility or as like as a resource, I don't mm-hmm. think that is any longer true that you you would need to avoid Kubernetes Because of its complexity, in fact, it's gotten very, very straightforward to set up. It takes you a couple of minutes to set up your own cluster. If you, you know, you mentioned infrastructure as code earlier on. If you're a believer in infrastructure as code, you can use tools like Terraform to set up your own cluster and basically manage it as code in your version control system.
2: So let me step back for a minute, and I'm sure Ryan will understand this better than I, so I'll let him jump in. But we're talking about like sort of the multiple layers of abstraction. This is just the natural evolution. So first we say, you know, you're, you've got your own server, you've got your own hardware. Then we say, okay, no, you're going to use a Rackspace somewhere. Oh, no, you're just going to spin up, you know, like an AWS instance. And now people are saying, well, it's actually easier and better to use this, you know, containerization technology but okay, even that's too tough. Like we'll let some big company in the background spin that up and right. we'll use their, you know, cluster. So you're, you're, you're like three, four five steps away now from setting up your own Raspberry Pi at home when it's time to do this stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seems like from my understanding, Kubernetes is basically reducing it all to YAML files, right? Mm-hmm. That just makes it another simpler thing. And if it's all attached to these cloud providers, like, why not? Why not get it right. started early?
2: I mean, I guess, Max, like maybe in not in layman's terms, but as you know, in in sort of a summary way, like what does it take yet? What's what's involved in setting up and running a cluster?
0: Right, yeah. So just setting up a cluster can be done basically in. Two ways. And we're talking about like a cloud hosted cluster, right? Setting up your own cluster. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you can use your own Raspberry Pi hardware or anything <laughs> else at home. People have done that. There's stuff on Reddit where people set up their own home Kubernetes cluster on Raspberry Pis. But that's not what we're talking about here today. Setting up your cluster in, in a cloud hosted environment. You know, you can either just go to your favorite cloud providers portal and set it up through some sort of UI. Or you can use, right. like I mentioned, a infrastructure's code provider like Terraform and write something. It's not quite YAML, but it's quite similar, right? And 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 define right. your cluster and then almost set it set up a deployment par, um, pipeline for for your cluster and for, for your infrastructure as right, well. Right.
2: But I meant, I meant step back one more level, like for people who don't know, and because we have lots of engineers listening to that, but also lots of people who are software adjacent. Like, what do you get out of, you know, a, a Kubernetes cluster? W- what is involved in that? And what does it help you do?
0: Exactly. Yeah. So I just want to give you one example and talk about a project we worked on here at Stack, because I think that's a really nice illustration. Like like you both said, you know, people think of Kubernetes very often as like an infrastructural piece and something that allow you to scale. And, you know, that does some of the heavy lifting around fault tolerance and all that sort of and load balancing and that sort of stuff. Stuff, right, But it can also be used for quite a number of different things. And one specific thing we did here at Stack was we're using Kubernetes to host what we call PR environments. I should explain that a little bit. So this is something a lot of organizations and companies have been doing over the last couple of years. The idea is when you're making a code change, you're typically using a version control system like Git and or maybe GitHub. And, and then typically at some point you're creating a pull request or PR. We all know that, right? Where you're sharing your work in progress with some of your peers maybe and seeking some comment on that. Now, the problem is looking at the code will not tell you the whole story. And especially if you wanna share that with someone maybe outside of the engineering team, let's say someone like you two in marketing or maybe somebody in sales or maybe even somebody in let's say the legal department, who knows, right? right? It would be very nice if you can just show them your code running. And ideally you would just not send them a link and say, look, I have this work in progress here. Here's a link. Can you just click on the link, and then you'll see what I'm doing here, and and just try right, it out. Right. Basically, this is like a completely isolated and custom test environment, just for those code changes you're you're working on.
1: I think this is a, a completely wild, uh, you know, advancement to the industry. Like the fact that you can spin up this automatically. You don't have to download all your requirements to your local machine. You don't have to, you know, take over whatever the dedicated test environment is. You just have this one thing that's dedicated to the PR itself.
2: Ryan, you were mentioning at at previous jobs, you knew people who did this and half of their job was just going through that setup process. Oh, yeah. I mean,
1: especially if you have a service oriented architecture, you know, you have to spin up each of those services, possibly put those in a Docker container. And it's just kind of a nightmare. You got to make sure all the requirements are there. And if one of those requirements is broken, you're debugging a thing that shouldn't even be debugged.
2: Yeah, it's super interesting, you know, and especially right as, as as more and more of the product lives not, you know, on a floppy disk or CD-ROM that you're going to ship people or, you know, as an on-prem delivery, but as something that is live on the web, you might very well want design or marketing if they're doing copy or product marketing, you know, to be able to look at these things and push the changes, you know, on a, on a regular basis. So to me, it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, is exciting for, for people like me who are not software developers themselves, but ha- have to work with you loons every day. I guess, tell us a little bit about sort of, yeah, like when you set out to build this, who was on the team internally and and, yeah what did it take to accomplish this task?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the challenge in building something like PI environments is usually first you need to containerize your app. If you're lucky to start from scratch with something like a new project now in 2021, right, chances are you're just going to do that right away and and containerize your app right away from the beginning but you know maybe you're working on a 10 20 30 year old code base. who knows so just getting your code to run on containers is is probably the challenge that will depend heavily on your specific technical infrastructure your your tech stack and and your environment so in our case for stack overflow our code base is about 13 years old it was written originally in 2008 in C# on .net framework the classical .NET framework which as you know runs on Windows, right? So it, it usually runs on Windows Server, and you know I'm a Microsoft at heart, and I, I love that technology <laughs> when it's at its peak. But I would argue that, and I hope my my friends at Microsoft will forgive me here. I would argue that when it comes to containers and container technology, this is really more like a like a Linux-driven ecosystem. So th- th- mm-hmm. there is such a thing as Windows containers, and it's uh, theoretically possible to run .NET apps on Windows containers, even in Kubernetes. But this is just not really where the focus of the ecosystem is and and .net framework itself is at this point officially considered legacy technology microsoft has like this new thing called .net core now .net 5 so really one of the first things we had to do here was migrating the code base over to .net core so so thankfully we had a team of very talented people across the company from um sre to the product teams i was not part of that team myself back then but they they managed to migrate that old code base over to dotnet core and you know that was kind of one of the basic building blocks for that
2: and so, yeah, how many people worked on this internally? How long did it take you? And yeah, did you, along the way, were there any forking paths? Did you like, think you might do something, but then you ended up changing it? How did, how did you resource this internally?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so once the code would run on .NET Core, the next thing is you would want to build some sort of deployment pipeline for that, right? So mm-hmm. you, you want this whole thing to be fully automated. Like every time a developer or designer or really anyone creates a PR, you want to spin up this entire environment from scratch on a Kubernetes cluster. So the technology we've chosen, we've, we've chosen was using GitHub Actions, which uh, also required us to first migrate our entire code base over to GitHub hosted. So we could use the hosted version of GitHub, and we were using GitHub Enterprise on-prem before. So, so that was like another migration project we had to do. And to your point, how many people were involved? Almost the entire product team was involved here because there were like mm-hmm. countless dependencies that needed to be updated in our tooling and our build system and. But once we were on the other side, it was like sometime early, middle to last year when we started it, and then we completed it in the fall last year. Once we were on, on GitHub hosted, now we had all the tools we needed, right? We had the code on GitHub hosted, we had GitHub Actions as a workflow tool, and then we had the code base on .NET Core. So all we had to do is now containerize it and and move it over to a Kubernetes cluster and like mm. I said, we don't need to build our own cluster. We we use one of the cloud providers. We're using Azure, Azure Kubernetes Services, um, AKS. So that piece was already there. We didn't have to build and maintain our own cluster.
1: When you say uh, containerize, does that require any changes to our code base, or is that just building out the Kubernetes code?
0: Yeah, exactly. That's that's an excellent question here. So containerizing mainly means you add, you know, you're using Docker as a tool for that. And just writing a Docker file and getting your code to run in a container is usually the easy part. The hard part is usually to get your code to drop its assumptions about the infrastructure it's running on. So the code base we've been working with had all these assumptions heavily baked in that it would run on servers, right. on Windows server in a data center specifically, right? So there were like changes all over the place around config, around endpoints and hard coded things. And, and that's really where the challenge is. So maybe that's for our listeners as well. If you're if you're thinking about containerizing something and then building maybe test environments in Kubernetes, just getting it to run in a container is not necessarily the hard part, but getting it to behave in a container is probably where, you know, where you're know we going to be spending a lot of time.
2: I don't know why. I've never heard that before, but something about saying the, the assumptions make, really humanizes it for me. It makes the code sound like it's alive. I'm not sure why. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it's, it seems like this is part of the sort of mo- modernization of the Stack Overflow code base we're doing. With a, another post we worked on, talked about a lot of the sort of static stuff that was built in to make it a, a fast code base at the beginning.
2: Oh, yeah. Herberto's post, right?
1: Yeah. And and this seems like those worked at the time, but to run these PN, PR environments, we have to modernize things.
2: And so, Max, I know you wanted to offer out sort of a hot take version of this. You know, we <laughs> talked about it now with some nuance, but, you know, like the headline, obviously, so we, can, so we can get attention is sort of like Kubernetes isn't too complicated, you know, for your startup. Or like, don't overlook Kubernetes because you think it's too you know, too complex. Yeah. uh, Containerize first. Yeah. You know, maybe if you start building in this way, maybe the scale benefits won't be apparent immediately, but the cost of doing it now, like, as you said, just, you know, picking it off the menu uh, from one of your cloud providers means that you can have it in place early. And then obviously, uh, you know, we've, we've heard many people say like, it's a real benefit as you grow and scale.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if you go back to Twitter and Hacker News over the last couple of years, you'll find a lot of people making like these snarky comments about like, why you know, we know Kubernetes is hot, but why are you messing with it now? You you don't need it right now when you're at this early growth stage where really your focus should be on iterating and and improving your product. You know, you can worry about the scale part later.
1: Yeah, I I think they call it resume-based development. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Or there's like this famous blog post, do things that don't scale. So that is absolutely true. I would argue though that setting up your cluster really isn't that hard anymore because your cloud provider makes it easy and you can even manage it as infrastructure as code and it'll offer you another benefit next to the possibility to scale it'll offer you that ability to build test environments and you know iterate way more quickly than usual if you do that so what you can do is if you start using kubernetes from day one You can build a similar system where for every change and every possible PR that you're going to be making to your system, you can easily create and spin up a test environment on your cluster. If you need many test environments, your cluster can scale up. If you need fewer or if you're shutting down for the holidays, you you know, you know can just scale it down so you don't have to pay all the time for, for like a, a permanent piece of infrastructure. But the, the point is doing that will allow you to iterate way quicker and seek feedback from people inside your organization, um, even non-technical stakeholders, maybe marketing, sales. Yeah. And here's the other thing. You can even use that to maybe talk to customers or potential customers and easily pull off like a really customize demo for them and say, look, this is our product. In our case, it's Stack Overflow for Teams, our main product. Right. And you can say, look, here, here's like our product, and we already customized it for you. You know, it, it has like your branding and your styling and your logo is in there. And this custom feature we said we might build for you, you can already see it here in your demo, right? And yeah, you know, even if you're like in an early stage, something like that, Will allow you to iterate quicker and grow your product quicker. Wait, I
2: thought you were a staff engineer. You sound like a sales engineer now. This is going great.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know. Once in a while, we try to look outside of our engineering bubble and oh, see what's okay. going on mm-hmm. the outside world. And uh, generously, <laughs> it's <Yeah>. a wild, <laughs> it's a wild world out there.
2: All right, so let me throw you a hypothetical. Just because I was reading a story about uh, just-in-time inventory, which is a practice of working that was pioneered by Toyota, mm-hmm. and you know, the idea is you're not holding, you know, uh, lots of car doors and brakes and stuff in the factory. You know, costing you money. You know everything is arriving at the factory just as it's needed, and you put it on the assembly line. You get the car out. So this, you know, was a great innovation of Toyota. Made their business far more valuable, and then it was picked up by companies from every you know industry. It didn't have to just be auto manufacturing, and it made them all a lot leaner. I'm sure their share prices went up, and their you know their their executives uh, benefited from buybacks. But. <laughs> then, when a you know pandemic came along and the supply chain uh, you know got all messed up, it was difficult to recover. Nobody was holding inventory, and now uh, lots of companies are stuck with demand that they can't meet. So, I guess you know the parallel would be if from the beginning your startup is building completely with infrastructure as code, and you know everything is being spun up and spun down, and it's all dependent on a third party. You know, if some disaster comes along and knocks out every AWS cluster. Or, you know, if just something happens that's more systemic uh, to the internet, can you fall back and be, you know, self-reliant essentially? Like I remember when, you know, Hurricane Sandy came through New York, there's a great war story about people at Stack, you know, bailing out, you know, marching up and downstairs and bailing out water and keeping our servers running so that people could continue to use the service despite the fact that we had a local disaster. You know, as more and more of what you build is virtual and outsourced, Do you run the risk at some point, yeah, of of not being able to be self-reliant if such a, you know, systemic network effect should come down the line?
0: Great question. So here's what I'll say. So there's like the issue of vendor lock-in or technology lock-in, which companies or like even startups want to avoid for basically what you just said. Let's say you're completely building your business on top of a single cloud provider. And, you know, I mean, AWS is unlikely to go out of business, but let's say you're maybe partnering with a smaller one and and maybe that, that provider has runs into some sort of trouble, and then maybe you can no longer partner with them. What's like your plan Mm -hmm. B here? So you can basically consider Kubernetes as an abstraction layer that will increase your independence and will make you even more technology agnostic. And that's just because for more or less, you you can switch Kubernetes providers. If you're using Cloud Provider A today to provide you Kubernetes as a service, the, the amount to switch over to a different provider is limited. There's some pieces you'll have to change, you know, the way, let's say, your, your load balancer and your ingress works will be different if you're moving, let's say, from Azure to AWS. But really all the internal pieces, like the internal networking architecture of your cluster, your, your pods, your services, and all that right. sort of stuff will be the same. So you can basically move over to to a different provider more easily.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, talking about the, uh, the sort of disaster recovery stuff, all the virtualization stuff exists on top of real hardware right? Mm -hmm. This lets you kind of let it exist on multiple data centers um, in case one of them gets hit by a Godzilla or something.
2: All right, everybody, it is that time of the episode. I am going to shout out the winner of a Lifeboat badge. That's somebody who came on Stack Overflow and there was a question with a score of negative three or less. They gave it an answer and it got up to a score of 20 or more. Today, we will shout out Mantas, awarded May 26th, determine if all values in a PHP array are null. So if you want to know how to determine it, we've got an answer for you. You can check it out in the show notes. I am Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper, and you can always email us with thoughts and suggestions, podcast at stackoverflow.com. If you enjoy the show, please do leave a rating and a review on whatever platform you're listening. It really helps.
1: I'm uh, Ryan Donovan. You can uh, find me on, on Twitter. I read my DMs. Or if you have a blog post idea, you can reach me at pitches at stackoverflow.com.
2: Max, who are you and where can people find you?
0: Awesome. I'm Max Horstman. Last name is H-O-R-S-T-M-A-N-N. It's a germ last name. You'll find me on the internet on the in the usual places. I'm Max underscore Horstman on Twitter. And you can also find me on maxhorstman, one wordnet
2: yeah. And if you want to uh, read more about what Max and some other folks at uh, Stack built using Kubernetes, uh, giving us all our little PR so we can check out work in progress, we'll have a blog post up about that and we'll link it in the show notes.